Hi, Timmy Whispers here from Gimme the Hot Sauce Podcast. The two-way V4 features groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam, creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Fuel cell gives you the ultimate energy return, ensuring every step feels explosive and dynamic. Fresh foam offers unparalleled cushioning for maximum comfort for the entire game. The upper construction features a lightweight textile that reduces weight while remaining supportive and breathable. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way at newbalance.com. Hey, it's Timmy Whispers from Stacey King's Give Me the Hot Sauce podcast. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track, all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, three-year, 30,000-mile complimentary maintenance, and America's best warranty ensure you can take on any adventure. I'm planning on going river rafting this weekend, and I'm ready to head out on the trails with all-wheel drive. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. America's best warranty claim based on total package of warranty programs. See dealer for limited warranty details. Complimentary maintenance included Hyundai approved oil and oil filter change, except for electric vehicles and fuel cell electric vehicles, plus tire rotation, normal factory schedule maintenance intervals for three years or 36,000 miles, whichever comes first. More frequent maintenance due to severe driving conditions or conditions is excluded. Offer valid only for new 2020 or 2024 Hyundai models purchased or leased on or after February 1st, 2020. See your Hyundai dealer for further details and limitations. Time for a brand new edition of the Give Me the Hot Sauce podcast. We have not one, but two great guests. The esteemed Casey Johnson, the Bulls insider, is going to join us momentarily. And later, former Bull, former Pistons bad boy, and actor John Sally is going to join the show. So we are loaded up with all kinds of great stuff coming up. And Timmy Whispers is back from Fort Myers. Tell us uh, the great weather you had while you were vacationing. Well, you may have noticed already I'm not Larry Yeah, you're not very red, no. So that's disappointing for everybody, but um, You still are red. Out of 14 days, That's it, high blood it, pressure. It, it rained 12. <laughs> <laughs> it just called being Irish. Okay. Wow. Well, it's good to have you back. Yeah, oh. we missed you. Jeez, no hugs, nothing, just a bunch of ridicule when I walked in here. It was great. Well, that's yeah, how you know we it. missed that's you. That's how you know we missed oh, you. We didn't say anything to you. We didn't say anything to you. You know there's a problem. There's it's a, problem. a locker room <laughs> environment here that we like to keep it all about. It's a sports. toxic environment. That's true. And, and Stacy's just back from the dentist, one of the uh, great pleasures in life. How'd that go? <sighs> <laughs> just a little procedure but you know when they numb your mouth yeah oh yeah you know and then they numb it so it's like oh man you just like talking and you know you might start drooling at some point so america if you see me drool it's nothing wrong with me i just my mouth is still numb and you can't really eat anything because you might bite your lip but you just finished a sandwich come on so mark you're gonna it. see the blood dri- blood dripping from the corners of mark, his cheeks mark, coming up mark there. you ain't gotta tell everybody my business okay okay you're like an old refrigerator you can't keep nothing in man damn I'm okay, America. All right. Well, that's good. Stacy's on the mend. Hey, let's bring in Casey Johnson, who's kind enough to Casey. join us. Obviously, not in Toronto. We are recording as the Bulls are getting ready to take on the Raptors. Uh, Casey, a great flurry for the Bulls uh, during December, but now we're seeing some signs of maybe regression to the mean. Where Where do you stand? I, I know I talked to you a couple of weeks ago, and you were saying that 
you're not 100% sold on this Bulls revival. Where, where do you stand a couple weeks later? Well, I mean, they've got the 24th ranked offense. So, you know, even for the improved play, and obviously, you know, they did have a good December, but it didn't really translate to uh, statistics. And, you know, the defensive improvement that you saw in December has really slipped in January. I mean, you guys, I mean, we see it all the time. And that Cleveland game, to me, was a perfect example of it. I mean, second chance points, not finishing the defense, not covering the three-point line. I mean, they've given up. Uh, 48 of 39 and a 40-point quarter in the last three games to the Warriors, Spurs, and, and Cavaliers. So um, the defense is ranked 15th as we take this. And like I said, for all the talk about the improved offensive play, they they have the 24th-ranked offense, which is where they were last season. So it's definitely better than the 5-14 and 14 start, which, as you guys know, was unwatchable at times. But uh, I don't know, man. It just seems like a, a lot of mediocrity uh, on a nightly basis. What, what has been your opinion uh, since Zach now has come back and his play? You know, I, I thought he has really tried to play the right way, tried to play the way Billy wants him to play, especially on the defensive end, some assists. Um, I still think he's he's hesitating. He wants to go back to play his old way. You could tell certain stretch outs. I saw that in Cleveland the other night. Talk a little bit about what you've seen since Zach's been back, Casey. Yeah, I mean, the the positives are what you mentioned, Stace. Uh, you know, the in, uh, engagement on the defensive end and the assisted totals have been up. Um, he's still struggling to finish at the rim, which is really unzack like I mean, we watched him in that first quarter in Cleveland. He had three great opportunities right at the rim, and he missed them all. That's just not who Zach has been, and that's really kind of been the storyline to his season is he's not shooting at the rate, the elite rate that we've come to accept uh, expect from Zach the last couple of seasons. So, um, you'd like to think it's going to revert to the norm at some point. Um, but as in terms of stylistically, I agree with you. I mean, the biggest uh, takeaway that I have about his return is what Kobe White has told me, and that is that Zach's like his biggest supporter. Like, hey, man, I'm just trying to keep you in a rhythm. That's my goal. I'm I, So, you know, all this talk, you know what I mean, like Zach's selfish or, you know, he's cancer. I mean, I, I, I've never bought that stuff. I mean, me he is a, yeah, he's a team first guy. I mean. Kobe has been, you know, touting his uh, acceptance, you know, ever since Zach came back. So uh, you just like to see Zach regain his elite offensive form. Um, and if that happens, then obviously the Bulls uh, ceiling and their potential uh, rises. Well, the reality of the situation is that since Lonzo Ball got hurt a couple of years ago now, I know the anniversary just passed a week or so ago. The team's been sub 500, and a lot of Bulls fans are crying for change. They just want to see change just for change's sake. I, you know, whether it's a big trade or a smaller move, what do you anticipate happening? As we tape, we're three weeks exactly until the deadline. We've seen a couple of major trades go down with two of Toronto's best players being shipped out. What do you think the Bulls are going to do by February 8th, Casey? Well, I've reported, Mark, that, I mean, their main focus has been on Zach's future. I mean, it's well documented at this point that both the Bulls and Zach are open to finding him a new home. The, the problem is, is that they have not been able to really get any serious concrete offers for him. So with his market dried up, do they move off that stance and start listening to other situations? I mean, Alex Caruso draws interest every year at this time. Um, DeMar DeRozan, as we all know, is up after this season. So you'd like to have his future figured out. Um, those are the three primary trade targets from, from my perspective, but I do know as of a couple weeks ago, their main focus was trying to get a, a Zach trade done and then see how the roster looked after that move and then make other decisions as they get closer to the February 8th trade deadline. 
with Zach's market non-existent pretty much to this point, they, like I said, they might have to move off that. Um, there is a real possibility that they don't do much of anything. Um, and, you know, then they've pushed out all those decisions to the offseason, which, as we know, is the other, you know, major time where trades can happen. But it, it, it has been crazy, you know, to watch them kind of just kind of repeating this and repeating this and repeating this. And I know for a fact the Bulls are motivated to try to, you know, find Zach a new home. Uh, but, it takes two, sometimes three teams to get that done. And to this point, that has not been able to happen. Well, and, and the one thing, Casey, you just, you know, you hear, I mean, the Los Angeles Lakers, that's the destination I think Zach would prefer to go to. But they don't have anything that's really worth giving up Zach for. I mean, they, I mean, their name comes up for everybody. They're in every trade rumor that's possible. And when you don't have the assets, it makes it almost impossible to to make a fair trade or even get close to that. Do you see them maybe possibly going somewhere else? Like, say, I always say if you're going to trade Zach, I would go to some of these younger teams that are that have all this surplus of talent. You know, like Detroit. You know, uh, you know Oklahoma City that has pieces and and first round picks that, that possibly you could you know work out a deal with them. What do you what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean the Lakers one has always been the the most rumored, but I mean now there's been strong reporting. Uh, you know, I, I've kind of reported it not this to this degree but you know i've reported that the bulls don't have much interest in d'angelo russell and Rui hachimura i mean if austin reeves were included then you might have to have a conversation but the lakers have given no indication that would be the case and now you've got very strong like emphatic reporting from brian windhorse from espn and dave McMenamin from espn saying there's zero chance the lakers trade for, for zach levine and you know in this new world of the cba Three max guys, LeBron, Anthony Davis, Zach Levine, that's pretty untenable uh, for most rosters, even with a, a franchise that historically has not uh, had any problem paying the luxury tax. So you can see why that stance is is the stance. So to your point, Stacey, yeah, I mean, I'm sure that Arturis is pitching out ideas like that. I mean, you know, one guy you'd like to, um, you know, that you hear intrigued or linked to the Bulls of Jaden Ivey. I mean, that's the young talent you're talking about. But I have not heard any traction on any of those young teams or, or young talent, and I've not heard any interest from a, a team like Oklahoma City and Zach Levine. And that's the problem is the Bulls are motivated to to try to find Zach a new home. But it's just it takes a, another team, sometimes, like I said, two teams to get that done. And to this point, that has not come to fruition. The DeRozan situation is interesting, KC. As you mentioned, he's going to be an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year. And Bulls fans remember with the previous regime with Gar and Pax that you know guys like Joakim Noah and Paul Gasol walked out the door with nothing in return. And you know, DeMar is in his 15th season. He'll be 35 before the start of next year. He's still playing at a really high level, but his shooting percentage has dropped off a little bit. He's been a little bit less effective in fourth quarters of late. Do you think now is the time to cash in what may be a depreciating asset, especially considering, as you've reported, the two sides have been pretty far apart on an extension talks? I mean, if you're asking for my opinion, or do you think... Your opinion, what, yeah. Yeah, and then I'll tell you what I think they're going to do. Um, I mean, I thought the time to trade DeMar was last season because I thought his value would have been higher. And we don't, you know, we're not privy to what was available to them at the trade deadline last year, right? So... No one ever reported that, and so maybe there was not a lot of good offers or interest in DeMar DeRozan, but to me, the time to trade DeMar was last trade deadline because then that team has him for two playoff runs, season and a half, gets his bird rights, 
and then can decide what they want to do with him. And I think that you would have gotten more for him a year ago at this time than you would now. I don't see a huge market for a guy that, as you mentioned, Mark, is going to be 35 and with an expiring deal. So um, that's why I I fully believe that DeMar DeRozan will be on the Bulls next year. Um, and to me, the, the, the example to follow is Nikola Vucevic. I mean, there was a guy expiring. Uh, you know, went to, was about to go to unrestricted free agency, and boom, the Bulls do a three-year deal where they're kind of bidding against themselves. And I know for a fact that the Bulls incredibly uh, highly value DeMar DeRozan on an internal basis. Like, not only for what he does on the court, but what for what he does off the court. The young dudes love him. He's a model teammate, represents your franchise well. So, you know, DeMar might be uh, – in he may not be ready for the uh, possible pay cut that is coming his way. I mean, he's making $28.6 I don't see another team going past that. So the Bulls might be able to uh, negotiate from a position of power. Um, but I don't see DeMar DeRozan getting traded between now and February 8th. I see him resigning with the Bulls this summer. And like I said, the Vucevic blueprint is, is what I'm following there. You know, one of the things I've, I've been on the Kobe bandwagon when everybody was yelling, trade Kobe, trade Kobe. I was the one to say, you know, give him an opportunity. He hasn't really had a fair chance to to show what he can do. They never given him the keys to the car. Now he's got the keys to the car. And I and I thought he's this year. He's really, really had some huge strides, not only his ball handling, his defense, his decision making. But one thing there's one knack, one knock that I have with his game right now is I think, Casey, I don't know if you've been watching this is that he's shooting way too far out of his range now. Like, it's like he's looking, it seems like his three-point shooting is going from, you know, the distance where it's supposed to be to like 29, 30. We've been charting it, you know, in the truck for like the last, you know, five weeks. And it seems like his range is getting further and further out, whereas you would think he'd be much more consistent inside that 30-foot range. It's like Steph Curry range. I always say the Denzel Valentine range, you know. And sometimes <laughs> and sometimes that shot is necessary, Casey, because the shot clock's winding down or it could be a rush, hurry, you know, last-second shot. But a lot of the times, he's he's casting up from deep and it's not going in. Well, have you seen that of late? Yeah, and, and, I, and I, you know, you're in my ear every game, so I've heard the, uh, the, the uh, <laughs> Denzel Valentine uh, references, and I love them. But, uh, you know, it's like... Yeah. To me, and we've talked about this in the broadcast space, it's like teams are crowding him now. They're they're trying to turn him into a driver because, you know, as good as he, as as much much as he's improved as a finisher, he's still more potent from beyond the arcs. Teams are crowding him, trying to make him, you know, go further out or put it on the floor. And uh, I do think he's grown quite a bit in his decision-making and his pick-and-roll ability and his finishing, but he's still definitely more lethal from beyond the arc. So, um, man, but, you know, I don't, I don't get a lot right. Uh, I, I get some right, but I get plenty wrong. But I got Kobe right, and I got Lowry Market right. Those are two yeah, me too, me too. I, hey, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I've been on those bandwagons from day one, and yeah. you know, I mean, I mean, we used to fight, to fight with people all the time about the the Kobe, and, and I'm and I'm getting, I got into it. Patrick Williams, they said the same thing about Patrick Williams, and we saw when Patrick Williams gets consistent minutes, and he knows he's going to play thirty plus minutes, his game is totally different. Then when he comes off the roll. Now, this is what I said was going to be interesting. When Zach comes back, KC, what is his role? What will be Andre Drummond's role? And you've seen Andre Drummond the last couple of games not look like the Andre Drummond that was playing as a starter. His 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 it looks like his mind is not where it needs to be. I, I thought that first game back when he came off the bench, I thought, you know, he didn't have a rebound for like uh 12 minutes. He didn't have a rebound. 
you know, so I thought it affected him a little bit. What did you see in that? Yeah, I mean, uh, and by the way, I, I'm still not over the Lowry Marketing trade. That's no, me, just, either. <laughs> me either. <laughs> me either. Yeah, they'll, they'll you know, never get that draft pick either. Yeah, and, and who knows? Maybe, maybe he, he wouldn't have, you know, risen to this level in Chicago. But, man, just a skilled, talented, athletic seven-footer. Man, oh, man. I just I never understood that one. But anyway, I digress. Uh, no, I mean, you know, Drummond, you know, I've said this on the broadcast too, Stace. It's like he used to tell me, like, in, even before, before he started for Vooch, even those 13, 14 minutes, he he would try to get a double-double in those 13, 14 minutes. And then he got, obviously, extended minutes and put up some huge numbers. Um, and since then, you know, he's just not made the same impact. And so he needs to bring that same mentality where he tries to get a double-double in 13, 14 minutes. I did like what Billy did in Cleveland. Um, I don't think there's a place for that every game, but I think in that situation where you're getting crushed on the glass with second chance points, the double bigs worked. And, uh, you know, they, they they were out there for that huge run at the end of the third yep. quarter that, that, you know, put put the Bulls in the lead after they're down 21. So, um, look, Drummond's, I'll tell you, you know, we, we're talking about the trade deadline. I know for a fact there's plenty of teams that yep. have interest in every Drummond. So if they put him into play, um, you know, maybe just do a smaller move like that if there's not a Zach market and nothing for DeMar. I still would be surprised if they trade Caruso because, to me, he's so important to their culture. But you know, if you start moving into smaller moves just to do something, I mean, Drummond is somebody that if they put into play, I'm not saying you get a huge offer, but I know I know for sure there's three or four teams that would be interested in trading for that guy because, you know, I've talked to scouts and executives around the league and they, people have asked me about him and I've said, you know, at this point I haven't heard him being made available, but as you mentioned, Mark, that we're three weeks away from the trade deadline, so a lot can happen. And he's got, a friendly, he's got a friendly salary right now. Sure, for sure, for sure, yeah. He's a good player. You know that. I mean, you you've always you you you've been on his bandwagon too. I mean, he's a good player. When, when you give him the extended minutes, he 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 showed you what he can do when Vooch was out. Hey Casey, I don't know if you saw the quote recently by Steph Curry, you know, the Warriors are struggling and he was asked about possible roster moves and he said, "Well, you know, the the definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting different results." And I think that applies here in Chicago. You know, as I mentioned earlier, the Bulls are sub 500 for the last 2 years. Why is this front office so resistant to making changes? We heard all the talk from AK about continuity, but at some point you have to realize this isn't working. I mean, the best we can be is the middle of the pack. Well, it's funny you bring up that quote, Mark, because we heard that same quote from Billy Donovan in Nashville in training camp. Uh, and that's kind of what the vision was, was they were going to use this new kind of more democratic offense with, with fewer set play calls and less isolation and more ball and player movement and more stuff in transition and quicker decisions and getting up the court, even after made baskets and getting into your offense faster and, you know, just move the ball. It doesn't matter who's shooting, blah, blah, blah. And like I said, at the stop at the top, we're still looking at the 24th ranked offense, which is exactly where they were last season. So to your question, I mean, their thinking was it was going to be different this year. And while it has looked better and they won more in December, they're still in the same spot, you know, chasing the play in uh, 24th ranked offense. So, um, yeah, I can understand fans frustration. Um, but I always say, like, when it comes to trades, it, it has to make sense for both sides and you need another team to show interest. So I'm going to repeat this again. Like the Bulls are ready to trade Zach Levine, but they're not going to just salary dump him. And, um, you know, they need 
somebody to show interest with a legit offer to this point that has not come to fruition. Well, and, and you look at all these other teams around that are making these deals. Look what the Pacers just did to get Siakam. And that really strengthens their team. I mean, that was probably the one piece, it, the one piece that they really, really needed to go with that young athletic team. He leaves the number one fast breaking team in Toronto and he's going to the number two fast breaking team in Indiana. So you can't tell me that doesn't fit. Plus, he's a guy that's going to get you 20 plus a night. He's going to guard the best player at that position. And that's only going to make that team because they've been struggling defensively because they can score with anybody. But now to get a guy like that, an all-star caliber player that can defend, it's going to force everybody else to play defense as well. Well, the other reason I love that move, Stace, is like Indiana's not a place that goes out and gets big free agents. No. So you're you're basically getting your free agent via trade there. And they're look, man. They're not giving up three first-round picks unless they already have talked to the agent, negotiated a contract. He's re-signing there, okay? Yes, so, yes. Uh, and, and to your point, man, like, you go trap Halliburton now in the playoffs, and, you know, Siakam is the king of that short roll, get it at the uh, dotted line, three-on-two, four-on-three situations and reading the defense. He's great with that length and his ability to spray it out to three-point shooters. So if you trap uh, Halliburton, look out, man. Siakam is very dangerous. It's kind of like that short roll release valve. And I, I just love that fit for Indiana. I thought that was a fantastic trade. And, you know, again, it's people can balk at the price tag, but to me, you're, you're, you're paying for a free agent there. And I think he's a perfect fit in Indiana and look, they're ahead of schedule. So that's why yes. they made the move. So kudos to them for getting that done. And how about the other Raptors trade, sending Ananobi to New York? Did you see his minutes the last two games with Tibbs, 43 and 44? I think they're calling him <laughs> O.L. Dang in New York. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, the Dang <laughs> reference was immediate. Like, the day of the trade, I saw some, several people reference, make that connection, and I couldn't agree more. He's like the jack of all trades, not not really spectacular to anyone. I may be in the minority here. I may be wrong. I've never been a huge Ananobi fan. I think he's a little overrated for my taste. Uh, I like the move for New York, but I think it's a good. It's one of those trades that's good for both teams. I, I, to me, that wasn't a big needle mover either way. Whereas with the Siakam trade, to me, again, Toronto got a nice haul, but this is, I think, this is a needle mover for Indiana. So, um, but yeah, Adam Nobi, uh, he's gonna be he's gonna be logging some minutes for old time. <laughs> oh yeah. All right, let, let's let's change gears. Let, let's talk about the the event the Bulls put together last week, the Ring of Honor, which I, I thought was really good intentions and um and it really had a a, a place where it's like the the event was really awesome. If everybody could have been there, you know, but all the people who did come, I thought it was a great event. Um, I had a lot of fun, you know, seeing Neil and some of these older guys coming back, Artist Gilmer, some of the legends that that came back. I thought it was awesome seeing Luke Longley come in from Australia. Uh, but there was a black eye, Casey. There's a black eye, you know, at the, you know, in, at the game, you know, with uh, Thelma Krause. And uh, you were there. You 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 know Miss Krause very, very well. Uh, talk a little bit about what you saw. Because I know I was I was pissed. I mean, if I could have went out on the floor and, and put my arms around that lady, I would have. Man, it, it broke my heart to see that, man. And I know I know people have this feeling about Jerry Krause in Chicago. And I, and I said this the other day to someone. I said, listen, Jerry's gone. He can't hear your booze. Okay, he's gone. Okay, his family is there. Regardless if they were booing her or not, his wife's there, his daughter, his grandkids, his family is there to accept this award. Can you have just a little bit of civility to allow those people to enjoy that moment? And they didn't do that. And that was really sad. Well, so many things. I mean, first of all, I'm glad you brought up kind of the whole two-day event because I was privileged enough to be there on Thursday as well. I, I loved your, your uh, 
spot with Neil in, in the private dinner and gala. And, you know, there was a media red carpet uh, a, a scenario on Thursday night. And just, you know, and you know this as well as anybody, you know, stays because, like, you know, I'm assuming at some point they're going to honor your guys 91-92 team because that certainly deserves ring of honor status. Like, when, when teammates get together, man, all the BS just falls by the wayside, yep. man. You're just falling into old roles. It's just like you're back in your groove. You're back in your element and so like to see the joy on those guys faces on thursday night behind the scenes at that private dinner and gala was just fantastic i went up and said hello to phil i mean he was at the head table with steve kerr and chip schaefer and albert meal and just like it's just everybody falls into their own rhythms and that's why it would have been great if everybody had come back because the, the ones that did come back man the joy talking to harper and bushler and, and longley you could just it was palpable so i'm glad you broadened it it was not just about what happened with the unfortunate situation um with with jerry and, and thelma um speaking to that i would just say this um you know like i i've loved the people who have said well they weren't booing her and as soon as she was placed in the scoreboard they stopped booing so let me get this straight it's okay to boo a dead man <laughs> yeah exactly exactly <laughs> it's like it's like that makes it better you're booing a dead man <laughs> and, and knowing and knowing the importance of why they were booing there that the family was right there in the front row i mean come on man that, that's just that's bush league excuses yeah so i i reacted immediately on twitter and said it's absolutely criminal they booed jerry Krause. i love what you said on our on our broadcast stacy and I, I told you i've told you that personally and then yeah i mean i I've gotten to to know Thelma very well. I mean, my relationship with Jerry changed dramatically in the the later years of his life, and I've gotten to know the whole family well. And you know, she's a remarkable woman, man. And I know you've touched on this on Twitter too, Stacy. Like, you know, she is such a kind and sweet and strong person. And you know, every time I talk to her, she just refused to turn this into a negative. I mean, she obviously had the well publicized incident where she broke down, but from there on it's just been all strength and the strength arises from her own character but also all the incredible amount of outreach and it's starting to come out like i knew about this but she didn't want me to make it public but now you know it's it's getting out there like isaiah thomas was on nba uh, sirius xm radio today he he reached out to her uh the franchise ad nauseum reached out to her Jerry, Michael, what, what you name it, uh, Adam Silver, commissioner, NBA commissioner Adam Silver called Thelma Cross. I mean, so like the outpouring of support has fortified the strength that she began to show herself. And man, I, I said this, you know, in pregame in San Antonio on the pregame show, like we could all learn a little bit from her, man, to show that much strength and, and grace under pressure and on, on in a moment of duress. And yes, she broke down in the initial moment, but she stayed out there and yes. clapped yes. other people. Yes. You know, she, she clapped for Phil Jackson yes. right after that. You know, it's like, man, we should, we should, we could all learn a lesson from that woman. And I just have all the respect in the world for her. And, you know, to your point, like it's still coming, you know, like Bill Cartwright unsolicited called me yesterday and said, you know, I, I want to print a letter. How do I get that done? I said, I'm your guy. So you can go to our website, NBCSportsChicago.com and read Bill Cartwright's letter defending Jerry Krause's legacy. And we don't need to litigate, you know, whether he's a good guy or what he did or the breakup of the dynasty. Just, you know, I always say, like, why can't you just celebrate six championships? Yeah. You know, you played on three of them. You were you're yeah. around for the other three. It's like, why can't that be a happy thing? <laughs> why does it have and, to and, be a happy and, thing? And here, here's the thing, too, Casey, that I think that's lost in all of this, except for that moment, was that Thelma's had to endure this for like 40 years. 
Like she's had to hear her husband being booed every time they used to come to the United Center for a retirement or or Jersey, you know, uh, hanging. He would get booed and she would be there. And she, and she had to endure that for so many years. And the one time that people could have made it right for her, that's what really upset me about it. The one time you could have said, hey, look, Jerry's not here. I don't like what he did, you know, and I think the last dance kind of kind of like really like brought the old wounds back from the last dance. I'm a big believer that, that that brought a little bit of that stuff back. Um, But to see her, you know, to see her up on the screen and like, you know, just heartbroken, you know, because I don't care what nobody says. It was loud. They can say whatever they want to. Oh, it was only a few people. When we got noise canceling headphones on and I heard it through my headset and I was like, are they booing? And yeah, then, you know, I was like, no, no, because I've heard people say, oh, only a few people, only a thousand people, boo. That's a thousand too many, period. Exactly. And to your point, man, like, I, so I spent the entire weekend in Springfield, Massachusetts with the family, Thelma, the kids, the grandkids. And I moved that through that entire uh, Hall of Fame weekend with the Krause family. And I felt privileged to do that. And I reported it. I was working for the Chicago Tribune at the time. I reported that for the Chicago Tribune. And like that weekend brought them so much peace, man. They just reveled in that honor and they just were in such a good place. And then I, I completely agree with you. The last dance just ripped up a whole bunch of old wounds and then it just got raw that night. And it's just, it's just, it's just not a good thing, man. It's like, I just, I, I, I like, I like to focus more on what I've seen since then, than that moment, because if you go back and just think about that moment, it's just like you. I still get kind of just grossed out by it. It's just, uh, just yeah, it, it's it's forever like etched in my mind. I mean, I, I literally, I was just blown away by it. I was just like, how how could this be going on like right now? Like I was just blown away that anyone would be doing that under those circumstances. Because again, it's not like Jerry is there. It's not like Jerry walked out on the floor and he's just sitting in one of those chairs. It's over and done with. You got at some point, fans have to move on and remember that, hey, there's there's like 10 teams out there in the NBA who don't even have one championship. One. We yeah. got six. And, yeah. And that's what I mean. Like, why can't this be a happy thing? Exactly. You know, like, why is there? Okay. Why? And to me, the last dance contributed to this, too, because I, I didn't. Everyone else was talking about how much they loved that. I didn't, I didn't love that at all. I, no. I, I, I was, it was so unsettling for me to watch that. Dude, obviously, it was well done. I'm not ripping the documentary. It's probably well done. It came out at a time when it was incredibly unifying because of the pandemic. I get all that, but it was just, it was like relitigating like just dumb stuff and bringing yeah. up old wounds. It's like, why can't it all be celebratory? It's like the greatest sports, one of the greatest sports dynasty in the history of professional sports. I just don't understand why it can't be more positive. Why it, it just, now there's like this taint to it. And I, I just do not understand that. And one last thing about it, like Stace, I'm like you, I, I was I mean, I'm working at halftime a lot. So I was like writing some stuff and I was kind of half paying attention to the ceremony. You know, obviously when Phil's thunderous ovation happened, I looked up, but like, I was kind of like half zoning out and half focused on work. And all of a sudden I was like, yeah, I'm like, wait, are they booing? I'm like, yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. I couldn't believe it. I was, I was, and people say, oh, the Bulls should have foreseen that. Uh, I was, I was personally shocked by it. I couldn't. Yeah. I, and I don't I don't blame I don't blame the Bulls uh, because you would think after all this time, after how many GMs have been here and, and taken over since Jerry Krause is that his legacy is is solid here. I don't care what anybody says. They can sit up there and say he was a bad GM. He broke up the championship years. Listen, Jerry's biggest thing, Casey, and you notice he's probably told you this. He didn't want to end up like the Celtics where 
the team was old and 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 they were broken down. The injuries had, had hurt them. He's always said that. And so, if you remember after that last championship, him and the the the, the bridge of repair with Phil was never going to be fixed. Oh, that that was that was a done deal. But the injuries that they had, Scotty being hurt, you know, you had other guys hurt. You know, Michael Michael had slid his finger or his thumb or something with the cigar thing. So there was a lot of things that said that team wasn't going to repeat even if they brought it back. Now, we don't know because if Michael Jordan in, in a playoff series is in a championship is undefeated. So that gives you hope of fans saying, well, Michael's never lost in the finals. Maybe they don't lose in the finals. Maybe he gets his finger fixed and they win. We don't know that. But he took a lot of unnecessary, you know, uh, you know, missiles towards him. And I think it's unfair because if his name was Jerry West, there'd be 20 statues here in Chicago, uh, you know, in Chicago about him, you know, but his name is Jerry Krause. And when the players talked about him the way they did, uh, Michael, Phil, all these guys, he became the bad guy. He wears the bad hat and it's unfortunate and it's unnecessary. Yeah. And I mean, just, I mean, we can go down the, the litany of moves he made. I mean, think about all the hall of famers that he hired or acquired. I mean, Tex winner, Phil Jackson, Scotty Pippen, uh, Dennis Rodman, Tony Kukoc. I mean, uh, I'm sure I'm missing some. I mean, those are just off the top of my head. Hall of Famers all, all acquired by Jerry. And yes, he inherited Michael Jordan. We get it. But, you know, he, he did an incredible job. So we're, we're, we're on the same page on this. And I just I hope the next uh, Ring of Honor class uh, it does not have any <laughs> trouble associated with it because <laughs> yeah. it should be it should be a celebratory event and it largely was. I mean, you started by talking about that. I was there Thursday night. That was an awesome event. It was man. awesome. I mean, you could see the event, the the joy that all those guys uh, had being there, um, and uh, that's how it should be. It should be a happy occasion, not not a not a controversial one. Well, Casey, we know you got to run, so you get spared the uh, indignity of having to answer a whispers question. So uh, next time, oh. next time, we'll let whispers ask you two questions. Oh, but geez, I got a good one. We, well. we, we appreciate your time, and uh, we advise everybody to follow your work at NBCSportsChicago. Well, the best of the business. As we lead up to the NBA trade deadline, of course, uh, you see his great work courtside with uh, Adam and Stacy during the game broadcast. So thanks, Casey. And, we appreciate it. And, and, some, and sometimes you, I know you're. Uh, I think your run is over because Adam's done with football, but uh, you were always so gracious to 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 me and also to Adam for letting you sub in but you you know I love it when you when you call the games Mark and uh happy you got to do as many as you did this year so thanks for having me on guys yeah Peace out. Thanks, KC. thanks KC right. Casey right, Johnson the Bulls insider for NBC Sports Chicago coming up next another treat we'll talk about the ceremony John Sally was in town for that reunion we'll get his thoughts and a whole lot more with Spider Sally that's next on give me the hot sauce Welcome back to Give Me the Hot Sauce. It's now our pleasure to welcome in a very special guest. He's John Sally, the first player to be an NBA champion in three different decades. And now he's floating somewhere in the universe. <laughs> we love the background, John. Thanks for joining Thank us today. You. And uh, I know you were in Chicago for the Ring of Honor ceremony. Uh, what was that experience like getting to visit with old teammates and share some old stories? Uh, it was great. I, Judd Bushler and Steve Kerr and... Um, what's the other guy's name? No, Bill Weathers. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, when I got on the squad, even though James Edwards and Dennis Rodman was there, those three guys made sure I knew how to get to the airport. Best way of getting to the game. Um, it, it was great. It was, it was, they were really good guys. Uh, and that team that I was on, 
Way better than the first three championships. It was such, it was so good to see him. And I remember that they looked at him so happy for Steve Kerr. I'm happy for all of them. And, uh, but, but it was, it was really good. And I was surprised when they called me, like Matt would tell you, uh, I hung up the first time. I just thought it was some Chicago <laughs> wants me to come back for what? And then, uh, I said, yeah, I can't miss it. When I when I said I'm going to Chicago, they were like, middle of January? It's like beginning of January. It's, <laughs> it's gonna be okay. And uh I forgot where cold and snow came from, but I found out real quickly. <laughs> now now talk a little bit about you coming from Detroit, being the Detroit bad boy, which is, you know, always been we had great rivalries with you guys. And the one thing I could always say, you know, playing against you and, and that team. Like you were never, even though you was a bad boy, you was really a bad boy. You you always were like the <laughs> nicest guy. Like I could always talk to him. He'd give me dap, you know, good yeah. game. Dap. And I never had an ill feeling towards him like I did some of the other guys. And so that's one thing I always remembered about Sal, because Sal was like, Sal and Mahorn were the two guys that were like, they would play within the rules. They play hard. They'll hit you. They'll play physical, but they play within the framework of the rules. And then there were some other people. <laughs> that played outside the, the framework of the rules, but we understood it was rivalry. We understood that. How was it when you got the call from Jerry Krause to come play for the Bulls and on that second three peat? Let me tell you, uh, I was uh, I was in Toronto and I got I was so just to let everybody know, I was the only free slave in the NBA, <laughs> <laughs> meaning I bought my rights. Uh, Frederick Douglass, shout out to Frederick Douglass. He showed me how to do it. No, I, I bought my right. So when it came time, when Toronto granted me my waivers and you put your waivers, whoever called, they had to call me. And because I wasn't just going anywhere, I wasn't just going to show up because somebody was like, well, we picked up your waivers, so you got to be with us. I was uh, pitching my late night talk show and I was in the meeting at, with the president of Sony my agent, and my manager, and my page is going off and I'm trying to be cool by not looking at it. And then it just kept going off. And I looked down and it said, Jerry Krause, Chicago Bull. And my agent was a big basketball fan. So he said, what are you going to do? I said, can I use your phone? And I called, <laughs> he goes, long tall. This is my last time calling you. And I was like, what's up? He said, you know, do you want to be a Chicago Bull? I was like, yeah. He said, all right, so give me like two, you in shape. You know, I stay in shape. You know what I'm saying? This is people were paying me to, to, to go to the gym right now. I got to pay to go to the gym. <laughs> so I, I was no problem with that. And two weeks later after the all-star game, um, I was there and, uh, they asked me if I knew the offense. I was like, yeah, I know the offense. I mean, if Stacey King could do it, I could do it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> if, 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 if Lucky Lusty could do it, I could do it. No, so I, I, I just, I loved it too, man. You know, I, I always liked the offense. Uh, I like Phil. MJ and I go back like in the 80s. 82 was the first time I seen him or met him. And just going there, I knew they were going to win the championship. And I had this thing about uh, winning. I like it. So yeah. whatever was needed, I, I had no problem doing it was really interesting with Jerry Krause. He always wanted to have experienced players on hand to play specific roles. During the first three, Pete, he brought in some guards, guys like 
Trent Tucker and Bobby Hansen. And in the second three-peat, it was yourself. It was Buddha Edwards. Robert Parrish played on the team in 97. How valuable is it to have veterans who've been through the wars who aren't aren't going to uh, you know crack under the pressure of uh, an NBA conference finals or a finals? Um, I say I put it this way: if if I ever were going into the Amazon, I would want someone who lives in the Amazon. I wouldn't want an old Jewish lady from Long Island uh, <laughs> telling me how to do it. I think you make a left over here, Sonny. No, so I knew that it was going to be. Uh, idea he wanted professionals and I, I really was big on being professional and you pick it up fast you know you know what to do when you're on the road you know what to do when you're playing at home you know what it's like when the clock is running down you don't have somebody out there who doesn't understand the position or the method so i understood it i remember when they the, the reason i didn't come back for the second uh year or the three p is they took Robert Paris because Jerry Krause told me that uh, he wasn't going to pay me. He was going to pay me like $360,000. And I was like, that's what Michael makes a game. You know what? I'd be clowned. <laughs> I'd be clowned if I took one of his day payments and spent, you know, the entire season doing it. And then he told me he didn't have the money, but he really wanted Robert Paris. He, he, he was a fan of the Boston Celtics. And he wanted Robert Parrish on his squad. And Robert only played nine games and then didn't like Michael Jordan. So uh, it wasn't, you know, I love Michael. And I like Michael so much that my my career after, my my, um, television career, I said, oh, he's not the greatest of all time. The reason I would say that is I knew that I was going to be all over the news. (laughs) (laughs) And MJ. Yeah, going viral. why are you doing that? I go, well, this, if everybody says you're the Messiah, you know what I'm saying? Like you can't do it. Somebody has to say something. <laughs> yep. And I, I just would, I would hold on to it. I would hold on to it. I would play with it. He knew I would say it. And he, I'd be like, if Michael, if, if Michael was the greatest, ask him who the greatest basketball player of all time. He's not going to say him. And he wouldn't, he wouldn't say I'm the greatest player of all time. Um, Maybe now after a couple of cognacs, but not not in his sober mind. <laughs> now, talk a little bit about what it was like being on one of the teams that everybody loved to hate with the Piston Bad Boys when you guys traveled and you were on the road and, and the fan support or lack of it compared to what it was like being on the Beatles with Michael and, and that team. What, what are the comparisons? Oh, yeah. the, the difference is uh, when you go into a town and you're wearing black and you got a black horse, and you're walking in slow and everybody go that that was the feeling you walk we're about to walk in the saloon there's gonna be something <laughs> and no matter what it was in boston somebody would set the alarms off in the afternoon so we couldn't sleep um they, they did it in a couple of places uh, but then i came to the bulls and it was like traveling we were the beatles but we had michael jackson Elvis Presley, um, <laughs> uh, one of the other two guys you would say, uh, John Lennon. It was it was a trip on how it was the most amazing travel experience. Uh, the security, the way other team you go into other places and you're a Chicago Bull and you come out, there's no Bulls. Like people came to the game to see you go against their home team, so it was entirely different in Detroit. You know, we had to watch out for flying bottles. Yep. We had to make sure somebody else ordered our food. It w- it was it was entirely <laughs> two different worlds. It was 
it, it was like um i don't even know uh, politically because uh, it wouldn't be i don't know what your favorite fan base is like but it was a crazy situation like obama okay everybody can say what they want more people wanted to see obama than any president in the world and that's what it was like being on chicago Bulls. stacy experienced firsthand michael jordan's competitiveness in practice teams now barely practice at all anymore what was it like for you joining that squad you know mid-season was was uh, michael was on a mission after losing to orlando the previous year what was he like in, in practice on a day-to-day basis well i we did practice and it was it was it was intense i always tell the story how he switched the squads up and he put me dennis and and james edwards on one squad with ron hopper and randy brown and he just had on regular skippies like canvas shoes like he was playing <laughs> for the celtics and he could he was so intense so trying to go back at it and you know i i love the block shots and if i don't block shot i block you and he went flying past my head and i i, I never i always you know said something i called my mom's back at the hotel i was like yeah i just saw the greatest player of all time. You know, Johnny, you you knew that. Everyone's saying, I said, yeah, but I wasn't going to give it to him. I literally <laughs> saw it. Like, he damn near was playing barefoot and was playing the same way uh, with sweats on. So he, uh, I know Stacy made, and Stacy is sensitive and 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 emotional. And I know Michael was, was to be really hard on somebody who really felt. Uh, you got to, you had to be like a, tough skin and not say anything and he didn't expect anything out of us except to play the same way we did in detroit um all out uh nothing's more important than the win uh no guys bigger than the whole team and if we're gonna lose the game we're gonna win the fight it was it was definitely an idea an ideology that we followed talk a little bit about the the times you guys were dominant, you had, you guys had to get through Boston to finally get a chance to win a championship. And in the Lakers, you guys did that. You got, you got two in a row. Talk about your mindset going against this young Chicago Bulls team that was on the come up after beating Cleveland. MJ hits the shot. You know, what, what was your mindset playing against the Bulls? Cause it, it always seemed to, to us, like our younger guys who came into it a little bit later, that you guys had this bully complex. Like you guys just felt like you could beat the bulls at any time, any place, anywhere. It just didn't matter. Is that what your mindset was? Well, it was also factual. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Oh my God. One thing it was factual. We, we knew um, to attack, um, you know, you could, I put it this way, no matter how big and strong a tire may be, there's a little valve on it that you can sit and poke into and it will let all the air out of it. And we felt at that time we could attack the what we thought was making the team roll, and that was Scottie Pippen. And because he played so many positions, we knew if we took out um, the shooter or take out the, the, the important part of the artillery that we would have a chance. Because we knew Michael wasn't going to pass. He didn't trust anybody else. He wasn't passing the ball to him. Um, they didn't totally take on the triangle offense until Phil Jackson got there. And and they won from that point on. But at first, our mentality was, let's just take Scotty out and push Michael to his left. And, you know, he scored 63 on us with that idea. So we said, let's push him to the left <laughs> and everybody come at him. 
You know what I'm saying? If everybody, if somebody else beats us, great. So we had this mentality. And it was a trip because people wanted to call us bullies. But it was really the Boston Celtics who were the bullies. They they were, and James Worthy even said it, like, those are some, some hard-working guys that would come after you. So we understood once we got past Boston, which was to us almost a championship, and the Lakers, we knew we matched up. The crazy thing is the year Michael um, hit the shot on ELO, uh, Chicago was, uh, Cleveland was a problem for us. We had lost all four games we played against Cleveland. So we were waiting, going, that's going to be a hard matchup for us. And then when we got Chicago, we already had a plan. And the plan worked for us. So it, it worked to our benefit. We knew we got cheated. Oh, I can't say that. Uh, I don't want to be fine. In 1988. Uh, but we, we back then, if you had a nucleus or you had a team and you barely won, they didn't blow the team up like they do in football. They got, get rid of the coach, get rid of the general manager, fire the water boy. Um, all that kind of stuff. It was like, all right, we know what to do. We got to build on it again. And we built on it. You won another championship with the Lakers. Phil brought you back. Uh, Ron Harper was on that uh, team for a while. Horace Grant. What was that like for you guys uh, to, to talk about, you know, one last hurrah playing out in Los Angeles for the Lakers? Um, I don't think uh, we ever talked about it. Um, uh, we more talked about Ron Harper's Son, uh, Dylan Harper is like number one player in the top, I'm going to say top five play high school players in the country. We talked about that. I watched them drink at the bar. Uh, and you know, I just saw a lot of, <laughs> a lot of gray hair and I didn't know who was paying for it, but it felt like Chicago because the bar closed, but they were still down there and the bar didn't <laughs> close. So that was the pool that I loved to see when we were in Chicago. Talk a little bit. Okay, I'm, I'm going to go back to this. Okay, so we beat you guys. We finally beat you guys. Okay, beat you on your home floor. Because you remember, remember in the walkthrough, remember in the walkthrough, we were on the floor, and you guys were yeah. supposed to come in and shoot right after us. And then I remember Bill Lane Beer was back in the, in the hallway talking trash. Get off the court. It's our time. And, you know, and then Scotty did the little broom thing, like, we're going to sweep you. And then we swept you. Yeah, yeah, we yes. swept you. You were and you were the only one. I think Joe Dumars and because we we really calculated who did it didn't walk off the floor at the end of that game. And you shook hands, said congratulations, hey, good luck, go win this, you know, boom, boom. And I think everyone from that point on had a, a little bit different respect for certain guys on that team compared to other guys. And I and I thought it was a black eye for for the Pistons after that because people looked at Isaiah a little bit differently after that. What, what was your thought process during that time when the uh, the fame, I don't want to shake your hand type thing happened? Uh, well, what happened is what had happened was in 1989 <laughs> we were beating the Celtics and we were playing in the Silverdome and it was a minute and ten left and uh, Adrian Dantley was on the foul line and Adrian Dan and uh, Aunt Danny Ainge, Larry Bird, Parrish, and um, Mikhail were walking off the court in the middle of the game, just as if we weren't there. They walked through us and off the court, and only Mikhail reached back to Isaiah and said, "Bring the trophy to the East." And that's it, and they walked off. And so when Bill Lambert said, "Hey, we were about to lose," he said, 
let's give it to them like the Celtics gave it to us. And I remember going to Chuck Daly. I said, Chuck, put me in the game. And he was like, Sal, <laughs> you, you can't get any more points. It doesn't even count on your stats. I go, no, there's something about to go down. I don't want to be a part of Exactly. And he goes, what? I go, yeah, it doesn't look good. You got to put me in the game. So he's he puts me in the game. <laughs> Begrudgingly, he puts me in this game. And I see it happening. And I watch it happen. But, you know, it wasn't that I wasn't a team guy. I would have done it because we did it as a team. It was, one, I was friends with, with these guys, with, with Horace from college. I would give Scotty my tickets. MJ and I are fraternity brothers. It wasn't, to me, it wasn't the way to do it. But it, yeah. was, it, was, it was said that that's how we were going to get it done. I didn't like it. So I didn't want to be a part of it. Um, in hindsight, I did it the right way because we're having this conversation yep. and I was able to be on the bulls. I was, cause I knew this was my career and I wasn't ready to throw, do anything that I didn't think was, um, worthy of my career. And, and, and plus they didn't look to see who walked off court. You know, those guys was already, you know, done and finished with their mentality. I'm in my, I'm in my last year of a contract, right? So I'm about to be traded or get a new contract. I was way smarter than that. I'm a chess player, not a checkers player. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm, I, I don't, I don't believe in hate and I don't believe in that kind of stuff. And I didn't hate you guys. You know, I, Chicago Bulls brought me in, in 1986, three times. And, um, one of the times uh, I was with Dick Vermeil, right? Dick was sitting there. Dick kept saying, we should take this kid. And they go, nah, we're going to take Brad Sellers. And I would say, well, that was a bad pick. And and I told Krause, every time I play against you, I'm going to act like it's a home game. And <laughs> I, I had I had a chip on my shoulder to try to prove to everybody I was better than Brad Sellers. So I'm playing for one. You usually have to have something just to play for, not just being a pro. You need some things. Bill Bradley said, if you play for someone else, you usually play harder. So I played to prove to them that they made a bad pick in 1986. Um, I was correct. And uh, I I was so, I guess, intense when I saw that red and white, when I got into the stadium. I, I had already picked my loft downtown. I, I, you couldn't <laughs> tell me I was not going to be a bull in 1986. And when they called Brad Seller's name and I was still sitting there like, wait a minute, I didn't go to San Antonio. I didn't, go, I went to do, are they going to pick me? I can't believe I got my whole family here. The, the, you know, the NBA doesn't realize if I don't get picked in the first round, we're tearing this entire place down. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> There's gunshots everywhere. Oh we my it down. Uh, so I was, so relieved when they picked me, but I never forgot those other 10 teams that passed me up that year were getting the business every time I played against them. So I had a, I had a, a, a real cool chip on my shoulder. Um, and, and that's how I played. And that's why I played with that intensity. And they were going to know my name. They were going to know they made that mistake. You know, it was a trip too. playing against Stacy. So we won the championship. When Stacy comes in and they were going back into when go our second tip, he was hard to play. And I he's, he's left-handed, and I, I I thought I was left-handed at one time. 
but he was weird. Because I I did everything because everybody was right handed. So I did everything I could left handed. And all of a sudden he comes in. I go, this kid is that turnaround was no joke. Hated it. Hated it. Couldn't block it. He would go to my right. That means I had to use my left. He was using his <laughs> left. I was they were like, come on, man. The kid is he's a kid, Sal. I was like, I know this kid can play. You know, um, it's not like Horace. I know what he's going yeah. to do before he does it. Yeah, he was a tough guy to play against. Tough guy. My my first my first gig because I didn't know how serious the rivalry was between the Bulls and the Pistons. I remember at at Oklahoma because we had Harvey on my team at Oklahoma and we used to watch the games on WGN. And the game that I saw was when you guys played at the stadium where Rick Mahorn uh, body slammed Johnny Bach on the table, and there was this big brawl. Yeah, it, 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 it was it was Juwan Oldham. Versus Rick Mahorn at first, and it, everybody got on the floor. And I remember seeing Johnny Bach just get suplexed on the on the on the scores table. And I was like, "That's <laughs> what I knew." I'm like, "Whoa!" And then Harvey said, "Yeah, man, they be going at it." And then my first yeah. indoctrin, I think we played you guys in a preseason game. You guys had Scott Hastings. Scott Hastings yeah. was on your team, and he was it was his first year, and he was like he's never been known as a guy that's a tough guy. You know, he was he's a good player, good skill player, but never known as like a a Detroit Piston type of guy. And I think he was trying to prove that he could be that guy. So my first game against you guys was probably the preseason. I'm going in for an offensive rebound and he clotheslines me and pulls me to the floor. And then, you know, of course I, I have to get up and I, I now I know the rivalry is real. So I got to try to throw a two piece. I get ejected. He gets ejected. And then I'm in the locker room downstairs. And then I remember uh, Alvin Mill and them came up to me and said, welcome to the, welcome to the NBA. This is, this is what you can expect from this team. So that's what I knew the rivalry was real. And then, in, yes. and, and then in Detroit, when we came there, um, and that's when the fan bases were real knowledgeable. I mean, it was hate. There was no, right. there, you know, they hated you. Like Detroit hated Chicago. Chicago hated Detroit. You couldn't even go out. I was scared to go outside in Detroit. So, hey, yo, King, I'm going to come pick you up. Let's go to dinner. Uh, no, let's have room service in the hotel. I'm not going out. Because it was that yeah. serious. You, you, you could get hurt being in, a, in a somebody else's city that you have a major rivalry with. Let me tell you, I came, so my guy, Gary Footlick, shout out to guy, Gary Footlick, his son is Jesse and Robbie. Jesse's son was at the uh, Ring of Honor too. I didn't, I didn't get to see him. There's too many folks there, but he took me to a place <laughs> in Little Italy. And uh, when I walked in, it was like a casino uh, <laughs> uh, movie. <laughs> the ladies had the poof hair. Yeah. And I walked in and they just stared at me. They were just looking at me. And I said to him, I said, what's the deal? He goes, oh, don't worry about them. He, I was like, it's called the Rose. And I was like, my man, am I going to end up in a freezer before I get to the game? Like, what, what is happening in this real Chicago Italian restaurant? Uh, and I said, I'm going to get poisoned. I know I'm going to get poisoned. <laughs> they finally waited on us. And I said, Gary, why would you do that? He goes, no, this is a nice place. I, bro, we're on the wrong side of the track. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to make it out. But you're right, man. Is I had so much room service because playing on Detroit, no matter where we were to go, people knew. Yeah. That's because the tickets were affordable. And yes. now, you know, you got to sell one of your children and, and, and part of your house <laughs> to get a ticket mm -hmm. to a game. Yep. To watch uh, everybody throw the ball up from as far as possible. Uh, <laughs> and think about this. We were watching. The game was on. We're sitting there in the ring of honor. And we're watching the game. And Chicago scores 75 in the first half. Yeah. So I'm sitting next to Steve. 
I said, Steve, I'm going to call your assistant when I come up to Sanford. He said, no, call me directly, Sal. I said, how is it? When's uh, Draymond coming back? He goes, Sal, Chicago just scored 75 and two quarters. I said, hey, I'm watching in the back. That's why I didn't want to come in the locker room. I didn't want to. I don't want you to say I'm or anybody else is the reason you lost. So I didn't go meet any of those guys. I didn't say anything. Just to see the way these guys are scoring now and the way the game is played, if I was allowed to do what these what Embiid is doing, hey, shoot a three when you want to, drive when you want to, elbow when you want to, uh, barely take a jump shot if you. I mean, everybody gets to shoot the ball in Detroit. Just imagine Chicago scored seventy five in the first half. We would keep teams under eighty five for the game. Yeah. So it 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 would. There would have been so many fights in the locker room, our <laughs> locker room. Like, how are you letting your man do this before we got out to the court and transferred it? it it's an entirely different game, a different feel. Uh, <laughs> and I just laugh. I laugh because I go, man, that would have been a fight right there. That would at least been a little tussle to make them realize, stop what you're doing. Like, if you scoring a lot of points on a veteran back in the day, they'd be like, young fella, calm it down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> calm it down. Yeah. And he'd be like, I'm going to go for 40. You're about to get 40 broken ribs if yeah. you can do this again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they, there was hard fouls. Guys just wasn't able to go to the basket. And if you got to the basket, you were always thinking of where that blow was coming from the next time you went to the basket. Is it coming from the top, yeah. the side, baseline? Uh, you don't yeah. see that now. You don't see that now. It's more. It's like a quarterback league in the NFL. You know, protect everybody. That's a good way of putting it. I'm stealing that, Stacey King. <laughs> hey, you, just, you, you can have it. You can have it your little planet back there, your little planet Earth back there. You can go ahead and have it. Look like one of the Marvel characters. Sal, you know, you Sal, you probably don't remember this. Um, when I came out of college, we I met you for the first time at uh in LA. And I, I don't remember, really? yeah. It's LA. Me, one of my boys, we came, you know, we just graduated. We came out to the summer because he was from LA. And you were you were you were asking me, say, hey, what y'all doing? I mean, you know, John Sally, you came up and introduced yourself. Like, yeah, I know you are. I saw you come. I saw Georgia Tech when y'all came to Norman and played Wayman. I was at that game. Yeah. So oh I, my God, so, I, so I, I yeah yeah yeah. You remember y'all got destroyed. But I I remember <laughs> I remember. I was, yeah, I, I was at that game when you guys came. Mark Price. Mark Price is a good friend of mine too. So you you said, hey, what are y'all doing tonight? And we was like, oh, we don't know, man. We ain't you know we college kids, man. We hey, I got tickets for y'all. Y'all go to you guys go to Midsummer Night Magic game. And then they're having a party over at the Century Club. And I want you guys to have your name on the list, da da da. So I was like, this dude, he's full of shit. He ain't gonna have that. He ain't that, he ain't that big. That's Magic's game. And sure enough, we got tickets to the Midsummer Night Magic game. And we got into the Century Club and we walked past like hundreds of people. I mean, I, I can't tell how many fine girls. Like, hey, who are y'all? They didn't know who we was, you know, because we weren't NBA guys at that time. I wasn't an NBA player at that time. I was a college player. But we walked in there, boy. Say, I never got tested. Thank you, boy. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. I got to keep a happy home right now. Say, I can't tell you all the things you got me into that night, boy. Memories, you know baby. And, and this is the deal. That was the game. That's right. That was You were about to be a pro. Yep. That was the game that Magic let me play in. And I'm playing against Carl Malone. And people are like, <laughs> man, you're playing like this is the season. I said, I don't get to just ball out. Yeah. Like, I can ball, but my job is stay up there above the foul line, get offensive rebounds, play defense, block shots, score if you get a rebound. That was that was the rule. And Chuck Daly said, that's what I need. I said, well, that's what I can do. Because I knew you get in where you fit in on this Piston team. And, and everything was important, right? If 
uh, if you're a front wheel or back wheel or a transmission or it, like everything about this car, you need to do in order for it to work. So I had to give up that mentality that I can get 18 to 25 a game. This ain't college. You're going to get it off the rim if you're going to get it because they're not going to pass it to you. I had to convince Isaiah to throw me alley-oops because I'm not good at that. I was like, who says they're not good at that? I'm not good at it. If I throw the ball toward the rim, Sal, I, it's a shot. But he wind up doing it every once in a while. He got he got it hooked up to me. Um, but I'm glad that I looked out for y'all. Uh, and no one realized that I would do things. Like if people yeah. thought, like like you said, I was going to be a, a, no, man, like you got to, I took Dennis Scott. This is a true statement. Dennis Scott, after going into the second championship in 1990, I brought him into Detroit and hung out with him the weekend before he had to decide whether he was going to go back to Georgia Tech or go to the pros. Well, he got there on a Friday, and I think he left on a Monday morning, and he went to the press conference and said, I am turning my name in to be an <laughs> NBA player. Because <laughs> you took him out and showed him what the NBA I lifestyle was. I said, if you stay there, you're making them money. You come here, you make you money, and this is what you can have. And it was gold and glitter and everything you could possibly want. Or enjoy. Yeah, so. I'll never forget that, bro. I'll never. I, I was just talking about that uh, a couple of weeks ago. I'm like, man, the things I saw there, because I that, that that became a regular occurrence then. Like I was going all the time. I was going. I was in. Yeah. I, I was there when they had it in Magic Mountain. I was. Oh man. Oh lord. <laughs> and you know what? You know what's crazy too. I was just telling somebody this. Like this was like before Halle Berry was a star. All these people that we see now that are stars yeah. were were up and coming. They weren't. They weren't who we see now. You know, Martin Lawrence, yeah. Martin Lawrence was struggling at the time. You know, he's cousins, yeah, of, he's cousins of, of a friend of mine in Oklahoma, and he was trying to get on. So we saw these people, Sal, before they were who they are now, which Let is cool. So, so 1991. So I'm friends with Mark because, you know, I wanted to be a comedian. I wanted to be an actor. And they were like, you're a basketball player. I was like, yeah, right now. But I'm going to do this for 10 years and I'm coming to Hollywood. I want to be on. So uh, you're right. I'm hanging with Martin. I literally was with Martin at the premiere of his movie, Talking Dirty After Dark, um, which he still doesn't talk about ever being in. But <laughs> that's how that's how it was. And when the Bulls came in 1991, I'm working for Inside Stuff. I'm going, yo, we're going to the game. I'm going to do something. He goes, yeah, yeah, I got tickets. He had his bull jacket on. He was uh, He was like, I was talking. He was like, so quiet, Sal, we got to focus. You know, we got to give them the energy. I was like, you in the stands, bro. They don't even know you're here. <laughs> I was like, you think they paying attention to you? No, they, they're just working. They don't have time to pay attention. Biggest Michael Jordan fan you could ever see. And he was my boy. Arsenio, too. Arsenio was my guy, but he was a Laker fan. I was like, y'all don't realize I just do this for a living. Yeah. I don't... <laughs> This, I'm not a blood or a crip. This is not my life, gang. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just here. To, this is all I do, you know. Besides that, take me around. Show me. So you're right. Halle Berry. I, I, Spike had Halle Berry. Uh, it was it was at a Jungle Fever premiere. It's her first movie. And uh, and she came up to me after the movie. And I like look, wouldn't even talk to her. She was cute, but she was, yeah. wasn't. I was like, nah, you're a crackhead. She was like, no, that's just the role I played in the movie. I said, <laughs> Spike hired the real people. You're a crackhead. <laughs> they weren't character actors, baby. No, real. no. Sammy Jackson just got out of rehab, and you were crackhead. You know what I'm saying? So I believed it. 
<laughs> oh my gosh. Well, John, obviously your plan was successful after you left the NBA. You've had a remarkable yeah. career in TV and films and hosting talk shows and doing everything. Has, has yeah. it even exceeded your wildest dreams? It did. And let me tell you, for any dreamer out there, as Dave Chappelle would call it, when you dream, the dream, when you have a dream, don't let it end. Because I got to a point where I had done everything I ever said I was going to do. And then you go, so now what? Like, what do you do now? And is it, do you keep doing it? Are you interested in doing it? How are you interested in doing it? So now I produce films um, that I'm in. I produce films, uh, uh, documentary, got a documentary coming out called Longevity Hackers. I eat a plant-based diet since 1991. And it, I've been doing it, what, 30, 30 years now, 29 years now. And I can show, I, I found out that I was doing it right. I feel I was doing it right. So showing people how, that food is the fuel, how it works in your body, how to stay alive long. Um, seven footers usually don't live that long. I'm, I'm pushing it right now. I'm pushing 60. And that usually is an age. I remember I went to the NBA and I told them the chances of a seven footer living past 60 is slim and none. And in 19, uh, 2016, 11 NBA players died from congestive heart failure. So I was a part of Heart Healthy and just, you know, moving in that direction. So now my dreams are to make movies that I can look back at one day, like Bad Boys. We got Bad Boys 4 coming out on Father's Day. Look, I'm working for the studio right now. Uh, we got Bad Boys 4 coming out. And, uh, you know, I did a movie called Sneakerella with, with Disney. So just me doing things and picking films that I want to be in and people I want to work with, that's that's a new part of my dream. Now comes the fun Plus, part. We got right, my podcast is coming out this yes. month too. Yeah, yeah we, we talked about that. We we talked about that. Yeah, yeah. Make sure <laughs> make sure make sure you let me know when it comes out. You know, you, yeah. You know, I'll, I'll be happy to come on there with you too, brother. Yeah. No, thank you very much, Stacey. I will definitely have you on there. And you know, I'm glad that those two guys to your right and left don't talk a lot. You know, just, yeah. <laughs> well, this guy right here, he just learned yeah, English. Yeah, we, we got to let him he ask, ask a question, though, because so, you never know what he's going to yeah, say. Yeah, he, he, this comes to the time of the show. We never know where he, he's getting his research at. He'll come up with, like, the oddest question, but it's it's always it's always on point. So this is Timmy Whispers. That's why he got the name, because he didn't talk. Timmy Whispers. <laughs> Go ahead, Timmy <laughs> yeah. No, Sal, I was, I was fully entertained, because I thought I was, like, a part of the audience there. Oh, we lost him. <laughs> oh, no, see, he just said. Like, he, 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 he said, if Whispers is going to ask a question, I'm out. <laughs> it's not the first time. Click. <laughs> Do we lose him, D? No, I'm right uh, here. No, okay, I'm right here. Go ahead, ask your question, Tim. Hey, first of all, I got I got to tell you, Sale. Thanks for selling my cigars back in the '90s. I used to have a cigar business, and uh, you sold my stuff at your place in uh, Will Met there. And uh, yeah, yeah, you, you and I had yeah, you and I had a couple cigars there years ago. Uh, um, Patron, I know, was your big cigar. That's right, Patron Anniversario. Yeah, yeah, Maduro. In case you want to buy some Diplomatico, if you want to. Since I, I usually get paid to be on TV, Stacey, you can always buy me a box of cigars. Uh, <laughs> hey, man, we got something better than that. We got hot sauce, baby. <laughs> Stacey, signature Yeah, I love that sauce. hot sauce. But, yeah, uh, yeah sorry, but I do appreciate that. But uh, I, I just got to ask you about one of your comments, because I've seen it on T-shirts and stuff, that Larry Bird is the blackest white dude you've ever met in your life. A hundred percent. Larry Bird is Babe Ruth. He was passing. He just y'all didn't y'all didn't realize this is a black dude 
who was wearing white face. That's yeah. that's exactly what I would say. And when they ask me the greatest players, I always say his name is Irving, Irving Larry Bird Johnson. Like it was, I'd still have nightmares if I had to play against Larry because Chuck Daly would be like, Hey, Sal, we're going to put you on Larry. Everybody stay on your man. I'd be like, no. (laughs) Like, help me. Don't make a difference. Which way I push him, he's going to score. And he would talk and talk and talk. That's that's why Dr. J punched him in his mouth. He he didn't realize he was was talking. And he looked around. He was like, I keep hearing a black guy talking, but it's this white guy in front of me. It was was Larry talking to Matt, just like he was one one of the crew. Definitely. Speaking of smoke, too, uh, tell us a little bit about your daughter's business. Oh, so my daughter and I um, started a, a, a cannabis business. And um, right now we're in seven dispensaries here. It's called Deuces 22, my basketball number, except in Detroit. Some guy has the name Deuces 22, and he's trying to hold my feet to the fire. I, look, brother, I'm going to call it Spider 22 when we get to this <laughs> uh, But we, like what I said, I learned to make television. So, um, in the making of this brand, I filmed everything. So we were trying to destigmatize the attitude and the mentality of cannabis. Um, 26 states or 25 states now have legal man- uh, cannabis, either recreational or medical, and we just jumped into it. But we're about to hopefully jump out of it because uh, by the time the pharmaceuticals get involved, we're selling a brand. But we are working on this sale of the brand it was a great run since 2016 i'm ready to do something else but uh yeah we have my whole deal also is i didn't smoke weed until my last month as a laker and when i did i couldn't believe how great my body felt to the point where i slept for 10 straight hours um i was late to the bus so you stacy you know how phil (laughs) Phil said phil said a bus at 11 that means be on the bus at, you know, 10, 10, 30, 10, 40. Yep. I got to that bus at five minutes to 11, you know, got on a bus walking. They were like, oh, gee, what's the deal? I sat down and I said to my teammate who, who handed it to me, what was that? Do y'all smoke <laughs> that every night? I don't have a back pain. And I, was, I always say if I would have smoked cannabis the way that I do now, or I understand it. I, I played till I was 36 and I quit because, you know, Jerry Krause didn't. I mean, because uh, Phil Jackson told me he didn't have any more real estate. And I was, I don't like losing. And I knew they were going to win again. So there was no reason for me to be on a losing team. I didn't want to go anywhere else. And uh, I could have played 30, 42, 40, 43 the way I played, but I didn't. So I just stayed in shape instead. You know, Phil, I told Phil that I said to Phil, I said, uh, why'd you cut me? And he goes, well, I didn't have any more real estate on the squad. I couldn't do this. And he said, you did all right. I said, yeah, I smoke weed all summer. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness, boy. You still wild and crazy. You still wild and crazy, boy. It was great yeah, seeing man. you. It was great seeing you, man. I'm glad I'm glad you, you came back. I'm glad you came back. I'm glad everybody came back. It was a, it was a great event. And, uh, you know, it's just like it, 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 everybody being there, it just felt like old times. Like you haven't, even though you haven't seen certain guys in 10, 12, 15 years, it didn't seem yeah. that long when everybody was in the same room. Yeah. And I was so happy to be there with 
uh, Otis Gilmore. See, Otis didn't realize. This is what I mean. I literally would play um, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or I would switch it up left-handed. So I would try to do everything left-handed. I would try to write left-handed, eat left-handed, dribble left-handed. When I was little, I was obviously I was a, kids thought I was weird, but Otis Gilmore broke his right wrist, so he had to play left-handed. So he's really right-handed. But if you watch Otis, he played left-handed. And I realized if I jump and you jump and I got the ball in my left hand, I'm going to dunk on you. Yeah, it, it's, it's a quicker way up to the basket. So like I said, I would go left and throw left-hand hook sides or go off the basket. And Coach Crimmins at Georgia Tech, when he was recruiting me, said, I, one of the things I saw that you had fundamentals and you can use both hands, um, which they thought was a great thing until I saw Dominique Wilkins. You can cut off his left hand and he's still going to score 50. Yeah. So <laughs> so it, I understood it. But that was just to be in that room with Otis Gilmore and and and, and Boogie Love. I just I, I was so happy to be there and see these cats. And I always liked it. I always felt that Chicago, if I would have been there from the beginning, I would have never left. Well, Klaus would have probably traded me. But I, <laughs> if I had a choice, I would have never left. Never. Well, John, thank you so much for joining us. Best of luck with the new podcast and all your your ventures in film. And, yeah, man. Uh, you, it was wonderful having you back in Chicago. And thanks a lot for joining us on the Give Me the Hot Sauce podcast. we got hot sauce coming your way. We're going to get your thank address. You. I'm it's get your organic. Address. It's natural. Yeah, it'll be, it'll it's all fit organic with and yeah. natural. We're going to send you four flavors. And uh, we got our little... Four uh, flavors of hot sauce? Yeah, man. We got we got, so we got salsa verde if you like the you know Mexican flavor. We got yeah. uh, we got mild a mild red with garlic with a little garlic twist in it. We got a barbecue sauce that's got a it's got a little twang to it. <laughs> and Chicago Fire. And then if, you, if you really like the hot 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 sauce, then we got yeah. Chicago Fire eighteen seventy one, which is will burn your socks off. <laughs> oh, my daughters and my wife would love that kind. I, I hey, I was going to, you know, I had a couple of vegan restaurants, and and when I got into packaging, I was going to do all these different things yep. that you just said. And now that I know you can make money doing it, yes, yes. I will be knocking off your door. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're gonna we're gonna send you we're gonna send you some. We got our we got our hot sauce packer, uh, yeah. Timmy Whisper. That's one thing he can't do is he can pack some hot sauce. <laughs> thanks a lot what a great way to end an interview John thank you so much all right, thank you. All right Spider be good boy alright peace peace we'll be back to wrap things up but give me the hot sauce oh pack are you <laughs> Well, Spider Sally sounds intrigued by the hot sauce. Let's get Christopher Walken in to tell the folks at home how they can get their bottle. It's not hard, Mark. You just got to go to the website, put in some codes, get some free sauce. It's easy. And as you were telling, Mr. Spider, that you can burn your socks off with the hot one, but you get it for free, too, by putting in Walken Fire, W-A-L-K-E-N, Fire. I hope I don't have to spell that for you people. That's ridiculous. <laughs> so you think you could hang with uh, John Sally? I could. I met him once at a party. I brought some kittens. He didn't appreciate it. <laughs> what do you think of Whisper Cigars? Do you like them back in the day? Of course. I had some. I even had some back in the day on that boat that I'm still accused of committing some crimes. <laughs> That's a lot of story. Uh, <laughs> Natalie Wood. <laughs> 
That's right. Oh my god! I had nothing to do with that. Oh my god! I what? may have been an it's alibi. It's off the rails. Yeah, it's off the rails. Oh, I, Bob Wagner somewhere saying to himself, "Thank you, thank you." It was Christopher Walken all along. It was Christopher Walken all along. Yeah. Oh my god! And we were playing a little Russian roulette in the cabin, and then she had to go. I don't know what was wrong. <laughs> He's taking this too far. Oh my goodness! And she had had some hot sauce. Hey, and don't forget for all your Chicagoland uh, listeners and viewers, uh, you can go to your local Jewel Osco where oh. the product is proudly displayed. Wherever you get your favorite brands of hot sauces, you want to try it out. This is great stuff. It is great. Once you buy one bottle, you'll be one to buy five. And remember, she'll like it too. And she'll like it too. <laughs> it's saucy. Want to tell you about one of our other great sponsors, our buddy Jeff Vukovic. When it comes to insurance for your auto, home, and business, make sure you contact. Our good friend who treats you like royalty, nationwide agent Jeff Vukovic. You can reach him at jeffvuk.com. That's V-U-K.com. Phone number 847-825-4783. And he has the best jingle in the business, courtesy of Stacey King. Nationwide is on your side. Wow, nicely done. We could get you an audition for one of uh, uh, John's movies. Speaking of saucy. Awesome. <laughs> All right, now one of our favorite times. Uh, we tell you what we're watching. Sometimes good, sometimes bad. We're all in agreement. We love Reacher, which Reacher. is, which oh. is uh, coming near the end of the season. It's coming near the season, he, man. He oh. is still taking names and kicking ass. Oh man, Reacher! Is, Reacher has he's not he's not even apologizing for killing people. <laughs> but how he just says it. He too, just like, says, "Yeah, yeah. We, gotta we gotta go, go we kill gotta, some we more got, people. We got a couple more people we gotta kill." Yeah, right in front of a little girl, like. Yeah, it's, if you haven't seen it in America, it's a great show. Forget the Tom Cruise Reacher. It was good, but Tom Cruise is not believable according right. to the book. The yeah. book the book is Reacher is like 6'4", six, 6'5", six, monster of a guy. Like, this guy could actually be the Incredible Hulk, if you really think about it. If you paint him green, he actually could be the Incredible Hulk. Dude is, like, ripped. He was, I guess he was a real Air Force person. He was really in the was military. Right? Yeah, yeah he's, he was in the military, so... Uh, and he's a believable actor. You know, he's a believable actor. And they, they do a good job of explaining why things are the way they are. You know, why, you know, for instance, this this uh, season's episode is about his um, his uh, castmates, his um, company. 110 Special Investigators. Yes, yes. They were all these special investigators, and they all suddenly starting to disappear. If you haven't watched it, I'm sorry. I just gave you. <laughs> no, <laughs> you should have watched it. They tell you that right starts, off the top. So you're, not, you're not really yeah. giving first anything episode. away. Yeah. Well, it's the first episode. But, America, if you haven't watched it, Watch it. It's yeah, it's show. on Prime, so check it out. Reacher's <sighs> outstanding. I think that he played, he was on the, the Teen Titans, you know, the old DC comics. They had that series for a while on HBO. He, he also, was on it, but he got too big. He also was uh, on uh, Fast and the Furious. He was he was uh, like an uh, FBI agent with yeah, uh, yeah. Rock, and then he turned and he was a corrupt cop or something. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's when uh, I first saw him. Was that uh, Rick Atchison? Is that, is that his name? Uh, Rick no. Atchison. I don't oh know. You got a better memory than me. Yeah, I thought you were going to start singing. Never going to give you yeah. up. That's, that's a different song. Oh, so it's oh, Rick Astley. Rick Astley. That'd be Rick Astley. That's what he looks like. Yeah, that's what he looks like. I'm never going to give you up. Never going to let you go. <laughs> Big voice for a little guy with red hair. Wait, so none of you have seen Blue Mountain? No, I haven't seen no. it. It's so it's like a college TV show. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Chad. You've never heard of Chad? No, I never oh watched that God, show. You have to watch it. It's like that's where everyone knows him from. Okay, he's okay. Like a jock, um, linebacker who like everyone like like going to the girls love dumb and like. I need to, yeah, uh, but it, Blue Mountain didn't last long though. There's a movie. 
in a couple seasons. It was good, in my opinion. Okay, that's one of our child actors right there. Just brought it, just jumped in on the news with a special. Well, at least he gave us a sounder, so he knew he was going to talk. <laughs> dun, 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 no, that, was, that, that was well done. Way to go, way to go, D. Dangerous D, right there, baby. Woo. He looks just like a guy I went to high school with, Brett Matheson, who became the main attraction for the Chippendales. So that has something to do with that look. <laughs> and that. Wow, we're, we're wow. in reference. We, yeah, we, yeah, we, yeah, I don't want to hear about the Chippendales. <laughs> yeah. Wow. He invited me out a couple times, too, to be a oh, server. Okay. Oh, there my God. some good nights, too. I wasn't in the NBA. You so and Chris I, Farley? I had yeah, he's Chris like Farley. <laughs> Chris Farley, he would be a, good. a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't all, look like him, hey, but I danced like him. All red and oiled up. Ugh, that's a sight. Hey, some ladies like that. <laughs> hey, there's a new season of uh, True Detective out on HBO. Uh, Jodie Foster plays the lead role. Mm -hmm. This is set in Alaska, like 100 miles north of the Arctic Circle. There's supernatural forces at work. There's ghosts. It's it's a crazy show. They've only had one episode so far, but it looks like it's going to be really distinctive. It's not just a murder mystery. They've got supernatural things going, and it's going to be just, just, just weird. That's so a think, twist. Yeah, no, and, and Jodie Foster, only one episode so far, but she looks like she's going to be really good in that lead role. <laughs> Yep, I hear you. <laughs> Clarice, I eat his liver with vile means. Yeah, she's not a mousy uh, investigator anymore. She's, no. Uh, she's all grown no, up. No, no. She's all grown up. Yeah. Whispers, you got something else besides uh, Reacher? Yeah, I've been watching uh, Berlin, which is an extension off the uh, two uh, Money Heist series. Yeah, is it, how is that? Uh, a little disappointing. <laughs> I mean, they still do a brilliant heist, but there's way too much uh, relationship stuff. Who's like in it? The, so this would be a prequel. It's a prequel. He's, he's, he's dead in the. He's dead. Yeah. yeah. yeah so, oh, but, oh uh, the, the, the old guy. His whole his whole charm thing is very good. His lady game is yeah. good. Of course, they have to. Wait a minute, hold up, Who's dead? Uh, Pedro. It's not Pascal, but he has almost the same name. <laughs> um, but uh, Berlin is. He died. He the, dies uh, in the money heist. In the money heist. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So Not the first season, but when he goes back and pulls off a heist in Paris, and he dies. No, he doesn't die. In no, this. because it's, it's before he gets the. It's a prequel. Heist. Yeah, prequel. Oh, I've never seen the real one. His name is Pedro yeah. Alonso. Thank you. Thank you. That's that's why I know we. Yeah, just... the only thing bad thing about money heist is the subtitles. Is you know. Yeah, they do a good job dubbing it. Sometimes, like the laughs are really bad. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, okay, it's not oh, really it's like that show. It's like the little the show Tubi. You ever seen the show? <laughs> you ever seen like the, the little app Tubi? It's like it's like Paramount. It's like Prime. It's horrible. Yeah. Like the shows, the shows they show in there, right? Why are you watching it then? No, because somebody told me why. She said, you really want to see some bad acting? Go turn yeah. on Tubi. So I, I just wanted to watch it just, uh, you know, for, you know, giggles. So I see this one episode. A lady hits a guy in the head with a, a frying pan. You know, and the guy falls down, and, and, then, the guy, the and, and then the sounds come. <laughs> Bing! <laughs> it's like, or someone shoots a gun. Yeah, get out of here! I'm gonna kill you. And then he'll shoot the gun. Five and seconds then, later. Five seconds later, the guy. Oh, oh, oh! It's it's almost like a bad commercial. Yeah, like I, I cannot. And there's all these movies are like that. I don't know how to get away with that, but it's hilarious. You have another recommendation this week, Stacy? No, I really haven't. I mean, I'm trying to. You know, I'm too busy. All right. Still catch up on those Kendra Lust films. Hey, listen, they gotta keep happy home, man. Don't yeah, you might be trying to get, to get me in trouble. See? Yeah, you are. He took the whole collection with him to Fort yeah, Myers. No, no, no. I burned it. I burned it. I burned it. What's up? Okay, so I know this has kind of already been going on, but the Bulls are currently winning 35-22. Oh, 35-22? 
Dun, 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 dun. Hey, America, if you notice, I'm not at the game because uh, TNT is doing the game, so the Bulls are winning. So, uh, go And Bulls. that bulletin's going to come in really handy for people listening on Saturday and Sunday. Hey. I'll really enjoy that. Yeah, it's on the first quarter. Hey, Mark, 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 Thanks for that, Cisco. Hey, Mark, speaking of that, and it got brought up numerous times, including with, uh, with Sale. That was my question for Casey Johnson. Sometimes timing is perfect where you saw the booing of Jerry Krause after he's passed along, and it was kind of a terrible moment. But in the same week, they are talking about the second greatest team since then, which would be the Warriors, completely falling apart here midseason, saying they should have broken this up last year. There's something about that I thought about when I saw that on uh, Stephen A. Smith talking about it. There's a test with Jerry Krause. Sometimes it's just time, and maybe it was time. You don't know ever exactly, but there's something about that in the same week. Well, yeah, a lot of people are talking about breaking up the Warriors. Well, mm-hmm. and, and, and at the end of the day, at the end of the day, you know, it's still the way they, they look at this man, you know, after winning six championships is ridiculous. You know, it's it, it, like I said, there's 10 teams in the NBA. There was 11 after Denver won there. So there's 10 teams in the NBA that don't even have one in their building. You don't have one title in your building. And you can come to the you can come to the UC, you can come to the Avenue, you'll see six. Okay. Really should have been eight. I keep saying that. It should have been eight. If Michael Wyndham went to go play baseball, it would have been eight titles. So let that man rest, you know, be be respectful, have some civility about it, and just be thankful that we have championships in this city in football, baseball, and basketball and hockey. Uh has the soccer team won yet? The fire? Yeah. They won okay. the first year. So this is championship, this is championship city. You know what I'm saying? And and again, I took a lot of crap because I said, this is not Philadelphia. <laughs> this is not New York. And on Twitter, I had a battle with all these Philadelphia fans. And uh, they said, oh, we never do that. We never did. So just recently, just the Philadelphia Eagles lost yesterday or a couple of days ago. They lose. The coach is walking off the field. And a Philadelphia Eagles fan threw a bucket of popcorn on top of his head and said, you suck. You're gone. You And I'm like, okay, let's prove my point. Proves my point. Well, that is Philly. Yeah, it's Philly. It's Philly. It's in New York. I'm sorry. I didn't really hear you guys say anything, but it's Philly. Philly is a blame. Oh, another oh, one? No, what we got. No, they're just messing around. Hey, hey, oh, buddy. Geez. There's no time to play on the keyboards. All right. This, hey, listen, you're not, we're not shooting a, a music video. Oh my hey, Cisco, goodness. what's the score now for somebody that's listening on Sunday? Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. I was just kidding. That was that was a rhetorical question. <laughs> yeah. Tell the folks how they can take care of their transportation needs before we get out of here. Here we go. How's Mike doing? Mike is coming back soon. Uh, yeah, he's coming back soon. Windy City Limousine provides championship service. Making a reservation is so easy, it's a slam dunk. Let Windy City break the full court pressure of traffic and get you to your destination in styling on time and contact them at 847-916-9300. That's 847-916-9300. And then go to windycitylimos.com. Hey, D, kill your mic. We'll fix it at yeah. editing, okay? Yeah. That's going to do it for another wow. edition of the Give Me the Hot Sauce podcast for our great production crew, Dangerous D and Cisco. Weren't they keeping their... Brains warm with all these hats on and his unrolled condom, whatever that thing is. Yeah, I don't know what that is. Well, it gets a little bit warm in the Sriracha Studios. Yeah. The show goes on. Yeah, it does. Keep a helmet on. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed our guests, Casey Johnson, (laughs) John Sally. Very entertaining. Thanks to Stacy for getting these guys to come on board the show. Hey, we got more, more things planned. America, we got a lot of fun coming up in the second half of the year, and uh, you never know who's going to stop by the Sriracha Studios, but whoever it is is going to be entertainment. There you go.
Until then, drive home safe to Chicago. Beep, beep.